Hi, Insiders. Welcome back to a new episode of Disney Movie Insiders Presents. Today, we're going back to 1970s London with an insider's look at Disney's Cruella. We'll be going behind the scenes and seams with costume designer Jenny Bevan. And then we're talking to Paul Walter Hauser, who plays Horace, one of Cruella's partners in crime. And lastly, we have a special villains-themed Insider 5. As a fan of the animated film, I can't help but think of the iconic jingle that Roger writes so effortlessly and sings about his house he shares with Anita. It proves sometimes it truly is all in the name, and it made Cruella DeVille unforgettable. But there's much more to the story. This film is an all-new live-action take on the character we thought we knew. We're going to learn about the early days of the Queen of Mean, who not only has a flair, but a passion for fashion. This is Cruella's origin story. I cannot wait to see Emma Stone's take on this character and see her face off against her very own nemesis who we meet in Emma Thompson's character, the Baroness von Hellman. Big talent, big stakes. I'd expect nothing less from this legendary Disney villain. Fashion played an important role in this movie. It helped set the scene and era, and the characters themselves worked in the industry, which is why we love this insider's fact. Emma Stone had a total of 47 costume changes. Emma Thompson had a total of 33, and even Paul Walter Hauser had 30 costumes for Horace. Keep count if you can. With that fashionable effect, let's welcome award-winning costume designer, Jenny Bevan. Hi, Jenny, and welcome to the Disney Movie Insiders Presents podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. We're excited. Okay, to start, we'd love if you could describe the role of a costume designer and what you're responsible for. So you are responsible for the look of all the clothes in the film. However, whatever method you get there to to put them on the characters. One thing that defines my job is that if the director doesn't like anything, it's my fault. However many people have been involved in the in the the process to get there. But basically, um, you are you are there to just make sure the clothes are appropriate storytelling to support the characters. Art on the talent that tells the story. I absolutely love it. So how did you get your start in costume design? Well, curiously, I really wanted to be a theatre set designer, and that's what I set out to do, and and was reasonably successful uh, in opera and ballet in Europe and in in London. And then by chance, someone I'd known very early on, um, I was three, I think, when I met him at a dance class, he became part of a London arts programme called The South Bank Show, commissioned a film that involved Dame Peggy Ashcroft. And they needed someone, and the film was going to be shot in India. And they needed someone to just go in and, and help get her together with the wardrobe of clothes that she was going to be taking to India. And at that point, I, I was, you know, I was designing sets, but I was also up for anything. I made props, I made costumes, I did installations. And so I said to Nick, um, okay, great. And off I went to meet Dame Peggy. Um, we had a good old trawl through her wardrobe and mine. She was playing a, uh, a sort of eccentric art dealer, traveling overland to India to find a legendary collection of uh, miniature paintings. <laughs> so, and this is a merchant ivory film. And um, anyway, on my second visit to Dame Peggy, she said she was a little concerned about going to India uh, because she was 70 by then. And she'd never before Jewel in the Crown, it was before Passage to India. If they'd given her a first class air ticket, if she changed it for two economies, would I go with her? So I did. And that really, I arrived in Rajasthan in Jodhpur with Dame Peggy. And they were slightly surprised to see me, but anyway, I was put to work immediately. I did crowd collection, 
I acted in it, I did any costumes and any props that were needed and simply became part of the Merchant Ivory family. And they saw me as a costume designer. So it was like overnight, that's what I became. It was just extraordinary. And then I thought, well, seems to be going all right. And I met John Bright from Cosprop and then I was um, offered more work with Merchant Ivory and that's truly how it, how it happened. I mean, we'd studied a bit of costume at my course at the Central School of Art and Design, but sets was really, that was my professor, was a set designer. He was passionate about, you know, sculptural, architectural space. And um, I loved all that side of it. Never, I knew you had to do costumes because someone had to wear something to go in the, in the world. <laughs> but it wasn't my priority. So I just rather strangely um, switched over. Okay, but what a magical journey, though. It was like you were whisked right into it. It really sounds like it was meant to be. So you've been quoted as saying that you've always been British with a slightly rebellious character. Did that factor into you taking on this project, which focuses on the rebellious early days of Cruella? Well, I think um, I did. I mean, I was very surprised to be offered this job because as I, I'm not a fashion person. I'm not, you know, it's not my scene normally um, at all. And I always felt um, that there would be someone, I'd heard about the project because I'd worked with Disney and done Christopher Robin and, and Nutcracker. And, and so, you know, it was around, it was sort of talked about, but I never thought it would be anything I would do. Um, and then and then I did get a call and was asked to consider it, which was very exciting, although utterly terrifying. Um, <laughs> and in a way, once I got the hang of it, I think I was very rebellious. I was terrible at school. I was almost never there. Always off working in theatres, painting scenery, making coffee, doing the laundry, anything I could do to be the smell of scene paint. I was just addicted and to theatre. <laughs> and I still love live theatre. It's so sad at the moment. It's, you know, obviously not happening. But um, I've now sort of adapted to the film world. So um, that's okay too. And we seem to be able to make film. I haven't stopped working really since you know um this all covid started to happen so i've been terribly lucky yes i think that's a really cool part of the story that you've been able to continue to create art in this space and we're excited to see it up on screen in this film so this film is set in 1970s london talk to us about your research process and the inspiration behind bringing that era to life well some of it's my memory because i was there um <laughs> and still very rebellious but by this time working as a set designer uh, and, you know, obviously buying a few clothes and, and a little more interested, there was Bieber, which was, I mean, it was a bit above my price range, but I used to sort of go in and it was rather an exciting store. The way it was decorated was sort of magical, really. Uh, so that was fun. Um, there's a lot of reference online. Obviously, it's the wonderful thing of the internet that you just punch in what you're looking for and up it comes and then you get led in different directions. You print it, you make mood boards. Vogue is available online, um, many of the fashion magazines, so you can you can really do it without, you know, leaving your your studio or your workplace or whatever. Whereas in the old days, it was a trawl to the V&A and working your way through endless ways of trying to find the books and these research catalogues or the Wit Library or the Courtauld or, or wherever. It was a much more labour intensive process. Whereas now, of course, we're just blessed with being able to, to find images, which was useful. But my own memory was, was quite strong in all this too. When you start in on a project, you're, you suddenly remember, oh my God, I had one of those. And, and you're taking <laughs> back 
that time and the house you were living in and people you knew and the squats. I mean, loads of my friends and family were in squats, just like the um, the warehouse in the, in the film. You know, that was all incredibly reminiscent. 1970s London, you lived it. And it comes off on screen, beautiful and gorgeous. Okay, so how do you approach such a well-known, notoriously fashionable character like Cruella, and then in contrast, an original character like the Baroness? Well, Estella Cruella is on a journey, so it's an origin story, as you know, so it's not um, anything really to do with the 100 Wonder, the Glen Close, or the, or the animation, except that at some point she will end up there, or mm-hmm. you know, she has to be going towards that in its own way. But that film must be sort of 12 to 15 years ahead of our Cruella because it was set in the 90s and Glenn Close was a lot older than, than our. So, so, you know, but you know that she's got to have the black and white and the, all that sense about her. The Baroness, on the other hand, is, uh, yes, a totally original character, but you understand her story because she is a fashion designer. She's a good fashion designer. She runs a very successful fashion house. Um, you know, she's a horrible character, but doesn't mean she isn't good at what she does. And she's miserable to her hapless um, team, which I think is a shocking thing. And I hope I never like that to my crews. But, <laughs> um, but so it's sort of fun because she is a villain uh, and a sculptural, you know, stylish villain. So she was, and of course it's Emma Thompson, who's just brilliant. Um, <laughs> great figure to to work on so we could really sculpt looks on her and and we found a style for her fairly quickly by doing prototypes by doing twirls and then that was our initial thing we went to visit her in Scotland and, and just tried on shapes and worked from that what was the best and then they're like people do they get a good shape and then they're all adaptations of that shape you know, they're bigger, they're smaller, they have sticky out bits, they have asymmetric collars, they're in spots or checkers or, you know, according to the fabrics I was finding, which which was another joy, was just finding some really great fabric and then thinking, oh, you know, we could do, we could do this, we could do that. Mm. Uh, and, and that was inspirational. But she does have a strongly defined, I think, style throughout. Oh my goodness, yes, she does. Okay, I love her character. She seems so cool and over the top, but you actually mentioned it for Cruella specifically. She's a Disney villain identified by her black and white hair. How did knowing that influence your designs and then how closely do you work with the hair and makeup team to have her looks work all together when she's fully Cruella and the black and white hair? Um, Well, we always work hopefully very closely with hair and makeup in any film and also with the art department because it is a teamwork. It's not, you know, it's not about me at all. It's it's all about being part of a whole. And obviously we all bring our own individual talent and um, looks and whatever creativity to that. But it has to be in in collaboration with the other departments. Otherwise, it just looks ridiculous. And so luckily we were all at Shepparton, all in the same building, so we could communicate extremely easily and all drop in on each other. And everybody was always welcome to come into my department and, you know, have a cruise round and a coffee and see what we were up to. So mm. they, everyone felt fully involved. And I'd go up to the art department to check out what the look of, the, you know, some of their locations or their, their thoughts or whatever were. 
So it was very, very collaborative, the whole thing. And you know where she's going. And you and black and white has to be right for her. You know, if you've got black and white hair, you're definitely going to wear black and white. It would be ridiculous to wear yellow and blue. <laughs> but you have red occasionally when you need to make a total statement, I think. Um, but otherwise, it just felt, it just feels right. So speaking of making a statement, you mentioned Emma Thompson. Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, what iconic leading ladies. How does that factor into your designs once you know they're cast as these characters? What was the order of that? Did you know? Did you not know? And then did knowing that evolve the design? I knew Emma I knew that Emma Stone because she was attached to this film for a long time. It's it's part, you know, she's always going to be Corella if if the film ever gets made. Um, Emma Thompson I didn't know because she was cast much later. And I was totally thrilled when I heard it was her because I've known her for a long time. But in a way, these characters are quite strong visually. So it was wonderful knowing who was in them, but I think I had to just find stuff for them and make original shapes without consulting them as such. But once we had, then their input was very important to the shapes we and the um, the trial stuff, the twirls and the, you know, vintage stuff I collected to try on to see what worked best. And so at that point, they both became very involved. Um, Emma Thompson did seem to thoroughly enjoy, you know, each fitting and, and could sort of got all terribly overexcited about which was her favourite costume. Um, <laughs> Emma Stern's just sheer joy and she just owns it and, and uh, sells it and, and makes, I mean, she's just amazing. And, and so wicked with her facial expressions. Pretty perfect. Perfect for the character of Cruella and pretty wicked. I love it. I think they couldn't have cast it better. And I think the other cast was superb as well, to be honest. Oh, okay. So that's a perfect segue. I was going to ask you about this. So this is a podcast for Disney movie fans. There are other characters who Disney fans will recognize in this film, such as Horace, Jasper, and Anita Darling. So how did you approach the design of supporting characters and just all around background characters as well? Um, well, I suppose the way you approach the two main ones, you you find out what they need, you, you kind of find out who they are. Jasper and Horace, I did, I did like the characters in the animation. I like the drawings and I like the colors. They, they were inside, I don't know how true the colors are because they often come up differently, but there seemed to be an aubergine and green influence in, in um, in the drawing and brown for some reason. So I thought those were quite fun. And Jasper, it was just fun to use some checks because he's a little bit more kind of stylish and Horace is just big Horace with little wink. <laughs> you know, they, they just find themselves, those characters. Anita was wonderful because she, um, she could really have some 70s clothes and we found some great fabric in Mood. I think it was Mood or another shop in Atlanta where it had just an incredible 70s look. So we bought quite a lot of different styles and made her a trouser suit and made her a dress. And, and again, I'd taken, I met her in Los Angeles, even though she's English, I'd taken some um, 70s stuff to try on. And it was all really good in ideas, but it wasn't quite out of the right size or, you know, we could improve it. So we used the stuff we tried on, the trial uh, clothes, and then and then made um, from, from those ideas. It's always a good way to do it that you, learn so much when you actually put clothes on a body. I love that though. Anita Darling's character is such a contrast to the other women in the film. She's a photojournalist. She's very active in a different sense. So I love that story. So thank you for sharing that. So you mentioned Wink and I want to ask a little bit about that. 
Wink is one of two tiny scene stealers that we'd love to know more about. Can you tell us about designing a tire for the two main dogs in the film, Buddy and Wink? Well, Buddy, I don't think, actually does wear any, any actual clothes. Um, but Wink is a rat costume, which was one of my most favourite things. And um, <laughs> Craig being very insane. We did the first rat costume. He looked so cute. It was ridiculous. And Craig wanted something much more um, ratty. So we remade Wink's rat costume. But Wink was such an adorable easygoing dog. He wears a blooming eye patch, um, <laughs> you know, and never seemed to complain. And then he wears this ridiculous rat costume, never complains. Um, he was a really, really great little animal. Um, and I'm not a dog lover, but, you know, those two were pretty, pretty great. The Dalmatians were great, but they're rowdy bunch and very difficult to train. So they, they, they were fine, but, you know. I'm not a Dalmatian person, but anyway, um, Wink, Wink was a real character and honestly does a huge amount of that himself. He was an incredibly bright dog and seemed <laughs> to really love being part of the film. I can't wait to see Wink even more throughout the film. He's already cute from what I've seen. Is there anything special we should look out for? There's some pretty amazing stuff with the dogs. You'll enjoy. So I have to ask you one more question because this is a Disney podcast. Which Disney character style would you borrow? Me, I would, I would have tried to look like um, Estella when she starts that sort of period of the film when she starts working for Liberties. So she started to find, you know, and she's putting stuff together. That's my kind of look. But I think that put together slightly funky look is definitely where my heart is. Well. We are so grateful for the time today, Jenny. I love that it became such a personal story to you and that you would want Estella's look if you could borrow any Disney character's fashion. And we see the art come through on screen. Thank you so much for all that you do and for bringing the story to the screen with all of your skills. Thank you for your time today. It's a pleasure. We're so excited to talk to our next guest from Disney's Cruella, Paul Walter Hauser, who plays Horace. Paul, welcome to the show. Lisa, thank you for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs> Thanks, we're so happy to have you here. Okay, so first off, this is a Disney movie podcast. So Disney fans are going to know your character well. However, this is an all-new live-action film. Can you tell us about your character in this origin story and how he meets Cruella? Yeah, so Cruella, uh, for those that don't know what a prequel is or an origin story we're kind of going backwards into the timeline of Cruella de Vil so you don't meet her as a craggly old uh, scary lady you meet her as like a young up and coming woman in the fashion uh, business and uh, both into her personal and professional life so Horace is uh, known as like her you know her uh, her sort of villainous sidekick in the 101 Dalmatians cartoon but the movie Cruella we get to see Horace as a little kid and meeting Cruella and befriending her when times were tough and they didn't have any money or opportunities or friends. And they kind of became each other's friends and family. And they uh, grow up together and of course, they get into a lot of trouble <laughs> very early on. And uh, But it's like fun trouble, you know? Um, they're not really bad guys quite yet. Right now they're just trying to fight their way to make ends meet and um, and, you know, they dream of living in luxury and having money and fame someday, but, but Cruella's kind of the one who 
spearheads that and uh horace ends up becoming like her lackey the guy who follows her around and helps her pull <laughs> off all her heists and all her little uh schemes uh and jasper is, is sort of the tall lanky version of horace uh just like in the cartoon you'll see us together and we kind of look like the actual guys from the cartoon it's pretty cool <laughs> i love what i've seen so far that was awesome as you said there's much more to the story and we need to see this movie so for you yes. what was the audition process like and how did you hear about getting the part so i i had a meeting like a lunch meeting i had some sushi with our director craig gillespie who's uh incredible he and i worked together on a movie called i Tanya, and uh and he kind of was telling me about the movie and I was geeking out about it, just like a fan of Disney and a fan of him. And mm. then he kind of said to me, he's like, yeah, it's kind of early in the process, but there's a part you might be right for. And I already knew what he was talking about. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, it's got to be Horace. And uh, <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's Horace, but we'll wait and see, you know, got to audition people. And about three months later, uh, he brought me in for an audition and I had to learn this British Cockney accent mm. for the role, and and so I paid a, I paid like a dialect coach to sit down with me for a couple hours and work on it, and went in, and I just tried to have a lot of fun with it, you know, um, because the movie had a fun vibe, like it, it's lively. There's a lot of recognizable music, and there's recognizable like little homages to Disney and the Hundred One Dalmatians film, and it just has such a fun, lively setting that I, I tried to bring a lot of humor and try to make Craig and the casting director laugh. Thankfully they they liked it and uh, and here I am doing my second movie with Craig Gillespie and Emma Thompson, both of who I've worked with before. Pretty sweet. That is awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay, so clearly you're a Disney fan. You knew this was a classic character. You were talking a little bit about it, but was there anything specific that inspired you as you were crafting your version of Horace. You know, there's another movie, a children's film from when I was growing up. I was born in 1986. So the Peter Pan movie Hook with Robin Williams <gasps> was like Love. a big deal to me. Uh, still is. So there's a guy in that movie who plays Smee, Hook's like sidekick, played by this actor, Bob Hoskins, who a lot of Disney fans probably also know from like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You know? Yes. And, uh, and he he's got this voice in that hook movie where it's so um it's so craggly and dark and kind of sounds like an old craggly british man or something you know and i just i i remember that voice when i was a little kid and he, before anyone even told me what to do i was like i feel like horace has to talk just like bob hoskins and hook so <laughs> <laughs> that's totally my my thing I'm bringing to the table for the character, and that's sort of the inspiration behind the voice, which you'll hear and see throughout the film. That is a really great reference right there, Hook. I love that movie. So I was with yeah. you as you were going through it. I could visualize him. I could I could see it all. It's all coming together. And that's okay, totally so that's like a, for those that don't know, that's kind of an actor cheat where like you can watch other film and TV and music videos, whatever inspires you. And if something hits, it's like, it's not like you're, you know, you're not ripping somebody off. You're inspired. You can use the word totally. inspired and kind of infuse it with something that is familiar um, and maybe hasn't been done in a while. And I think that voice is something you don't hear it often, but when you do, it's, it's, it's a fun accent. Oh, well, that movie for me is a classic. So that's why in particular, I love 
I love it so much that that's your that was one of your references. So as you said, though, it's just it's inspiring you, but you're the one that's in creating this character on set. So yes, you've watched the movie. Yes, you've now mastered the accent. What is your process though, as you step in front of the camera? Like in, when you step in front of the camera, how are you kind of preparing yourself to get into the role? Yeah, I think it's about staying really, uh, it's like you're focused, but you're also loose. So you're focused on what the objective of the scene is. There's a lot of movement in this movie, a lot of physical comedy and action. And it's, it's almost like a dance you're doing with the camera operator where they're moving around you and you're, you have the choreography of the moves. So in a Mm -hmm. weird way, I was more focused on the dance of it all and the voice and the vocal choices. Uh, and that's kind of the focus. And then the looseness is being able to improvise and think of a funny line or, you know, Craig, the director was so busy. It's such a big project. You know, these other movies he's done, like he did a Ryan Gosling movie, Lars and the real girl, which is a wonderful comedy weird little movie i love it um this is like a big humongous disney movie with so many moving parts and pieces that you gotta stay loose and be ready to like jump into anything at any time there there's a part and i won't give too much away but there was a part where craig craig had me doing a comedy bit in the movie where i'm like dressing up as a character and i'm sort of trying to hide in you know plain sight by dressing up and being unrecognizable we shot it and it was funny, but he goes, Hey, I have this other idea. It's a whole nother setup and a whole nother costume. Would you be willing to do the exact same scene with a totally different like gag or bit? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And, uh, you'll see in the film, it's kind of hard to forget, but there's a moment where you see me in dress up and, uh, (laughs) that's totally Craig Gillespie just being crazy saying, let's try this thing. And it ended up making the movie, uh, making it into the movie, not making the movie, you know. Oh, we're definitely going to be on the lookout for that. That's so funny, though, because that was literally going to be my next question is, as you hinted at, Cruella, Horace and Jasper get into a little bit of trouble. And we know yeah. that they have a lot of disguises. We heard you had around 30 total costumes. What was it like with all those really cool looks that you're working with? I mean, obviously, this is a character that you start out with, but then he's in disguise. So, like, talk to us about all the layers of that and then how you work with the clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny how I think human beings, not even actors, just people, I think we adapt to certain pieces of our surroundings. So those costumes were part of the environment. You know, there's a scene where I'm on a bus and I I have kind of like... um a businessman's like three-piece suit and tie and overcoat (laughs) and hat. I think I might've had glasses or a monocle, one of those little things on the eye. And you know, yeah, I don't even have to think when I'm wearing those pieces of clothing, my posture changes and Mm -hmm. I just adapt based on what it is. So there's a lot of fun, unconscious adaptation with the clothing in the movie. And I think Emma Stone in particular, you know, she, she has so much to play with. And I know that like the costumes were a big part of, of her acting, you know, um, just Mm -hmm. infusing it with whatever the clothing makes you feel, you know, because if, if it wasn't a three piece suit, if they gave me some shabby, you know, uh, ripped torn clothing, I'd, my posture would probably change and I'd suddenly be hunched over. I'd be leaning or, you know, it's just that idea that you get to play dress up and the dress up really helps you figure out the play. That's awesome. So many roles within this role. That's really, really cool. Okay. So you mentioned Emma Stone. 
We know yeah. she plays Cruella, and obviously, what is Cruella without her sidekicks? So, okay, fans will know you as one half of the duo Horace and Jasper, but yeah. how did you form your bond on screen with Joel Fry? Yeah, we kind of formed it off screen, where we, uh, we'd we walk around the streets of Soho neighborhood in London, and, and, uh, and we'd make little pit stops and shops and restaurants together, and we just got to know each other, and I think he and I are very similar in that we've done some work we're really proud of, but this was like kind of the biggest thing we had ever done uh, from the size and scope of it. You know, it's, it's something people are expecting of and they're really excited for. So we didn't want to get it wrong. We didn't want to be the weakest link in the movie. So we talked about the voice. We talked about the relationships. We talked about the humor and, uh, and how to just make things interesting. You know, there's a moment where we're, he and I uh, are singing a song and we're like, <laughs> well, it's not just about getting the lyrics right now. It's like, how are we taking turns uh, vocally? How are we, are we trying to make it funny? Are we trying to play it serious? And then it's funny because we're singing the song really serious. Like it's <laughs> funny how there's 20, 30 ways to do certain things. And he and I just always kind of fell in and, and found it together. And I, and I think, me being a little bit sillier and him having more of an emotional component with Emma's character, Cruella, that also was a really nice uh, balance where sometimes we're drawing you in and we're, we're, we're serious and you can tell the characters are feeling something. And then other mm -hmm. times we're just goofing off and we're running around with dogs and cats and <laughs> car chases. And, you know, uh, I, he and I really, we really got along really well and, and think very highly of each other, I think. So, that that sort of affection and, and bonding shows on screen. It really, I really think it does. I love it, though, because, again, for Disney fans, we know Horace and Jasper. So it sounds like even off screen, you guys were able to develop that. So I'm really excited to see it yes. all come to fruition. It's really, really off, cool. Off, and off screen, we were very boring. On screen, it's very exciting. <laughs> off screen, we're like, yeah, let's go. Uh, let's go find a sandwich. You want to go watch a movie? <laughs> like it was, I, we were very kind of lazy. He and I are not like. We're, Joel and I aren't getting together to like go indoor rock climbing or like, you know, go to the bar and pick up babes. We were more just like, hey, you want to go see a movie and find a sandwich? Like we were very kind of we we're like two old men. Uh, we were very boring in our time spent in London, but we had a lot of fun. We had a blast. That's awesome. I'm having a great time talking to you. OK, so speaking of you mentioned a sandwich and i thought this was a funny way to describe the three of you so it's like horace and jasper are like peanut butter and jelly you know they have to go together but then of course cruella is like the bread like she has to be the structure there and then now we're building the layers right so you mastered your character now you form a bond with your other partner in crime but then cruella is so integral to all of this so how yeah. do the three of you come together to create this trio on screen and like there's so many moving parts as you said how does how does that all come out in the film i think it's kind of knowing your place you know like cruella really runs the show and you are if you're in her circumference if you're near her you are part of her kind of vortex and whirlwind of uh of intentions good or otherwise so so you know, we kind of just reacted to Emma while she was playing the character. And the fun part about it, not to give too much away, but, you know, the fun part is, is we start off as like we're accomplices, we're teammates. Mm. And then it's kind of like what happened with Beyonce, where 
you know, she was just Destiny's Child, and then she was Beyonce. Uh, so, like, there's a moment where we go from Destiny's Child to Emma Stone being like, yo, I'm no longer one of your Destiny children. I'm Beyonce. Uh, and so that, that causes a rift in the group, you know. Um, the, hi- the hierarchy, the fact that she's, like, this bossy kind of ringleader and no longer a teammate. And I think... Mm. That dynamic was great to kind of go from affection to sort of irritation and and the fact that our characters do go through a real arc and a change as a trio. And by the end of the film, it's like we're, we're stronger together, but the question is, you know, uh, where are they headed? Are they headed down an exciting road of, you know, making money in the fashion industry and them getting everything they ever wanted, all the things they've been fighting for? Or is it going to go south and kind of end the way 101 Dalmatians does where, you know, I don't think we like Horace Jasper and Cruella very much in 101 Dalmatians. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. I don't I don't know. The writers, Disney, they all know where it's where it's headed. I'm I'm sitting here with bated breath, hoping we get to make another one. I love the mystery there and like the cliffhanger, like making us want more, Paul. That was really cool. That's good. That's good. Okay, so maintaining the mystery, no spoilers. Do you have any other fun stories to share from behind the scenes with obviously this really cool cast or just anything fun that you did playing this character? Oh my goodness. Um, the first day of filming, <laughs> I just, I haven't thought about this in a second. The first day of filming, <laughs> we, um, you know, it's five in the morning when we get in the hair and makeup trailer. We get to set by about seven, seven thirty. We're rehearsing and maybe we're shooting by like 8 a.m. or something. Um, so the first shot, even though we're fueled up on coffee and excitement and we're, we're getting focused, we're getting ready. The first shot is me, Joel and Emma running after like uh, a local city bus and we have to hop onto the bus as it's like passing us. And so that's kind of exciting, but it's also like we're carrying bags and they didn't give us light bags that look heavy. <laughs> they gave me actual heavy bags, like 20 to 40 pound gro- like shopping oh my bags. Gosh. And, and also, you know, I barely know Emma at this point. We've met a couple times in rehearsal. So like I'm trying to make sure that she can get on the bus and I'm in front of her. So she's <laughs> running behind me. I have to somehow make sure that I'm fast enough so that I can get on the bus in time with the camera and Emma. So there's all this pressure. And and to sort of ward off the pressure, I started singing. And uh, I was thinking of like British words, like blimey and crumpets. And so I I like, I just randomly, and if you talk to Emma, she'll back, hopefully she'll back this up and she's like, what are you talking about? Uh, Emma and I started improvising a song to get us like jazzed for the scene because we knew we had to do these takes. And the song was called Cripes, Crumpets, Blimey. And uh, <laughs> it was like us singing very high-pitched tones, like, Cripes, Crumpets, Blimey. And we were singing this stupid, like, annoying British song. But it was getting us pumped, and we were laughing so hard about this dumb song we were making up. And then we – so we're, ha- we're making it fun, right? We're trying to make this thing fun. And then after, like, the third or fourth take, we're all exhausted. <laughs> we're all like uniquely out of shape in our own way and, and we probably did like eight or nine maybe ten takes because we kept trying to get the camera work perfect but oh my gosh by take seven or eight emma and i are looking at each other like uh this needs to end 
this needs to stop soon. Um, and then also as a wrap gift, I, I think I got Emma and a couple people a, like a, a homemade like coffee mug that says Cripes Crumpets Blimey and had the date and the location Amazing. of the first scene of the shoot. Um, so yeah, little dumb fun things. It's the things you do to amuse yourself, you know, when you're you're like overtired, you're nervous, and you're like, you know, it's like the first day of school. And, um, mm. you know, there were moments that were exhausting like that or like a night shoot where we had to do an outdoor shot and it's freezing cold and it's four in the morning and there's a thousand extras. Like those can be kind of tiring nights and stuff. But uh, we always found a way to make it really fun and keep it light and joke with each other. And and it was a really good uh, little family we created of, of crazy creative people um, who love telling stories. And this is just one of those stories me as a kid growing up watching Disney, like I dreamt of doing something like this, you know? I remember seeing Josh Gad and Beauty and the Beast and being like, oh man, I would kill to do something like that. And then, you know, four years later, you're, you're doing it. Uh, it's pretty cool. Look at that, Paul, with Disney, dreams yeah. do come true. It is true. Dreams really do come true. They've been coming <laughs> true for me for a while. I feel very lucky. That is awesome. And of course, that, was gold for us right there. Cripes, crumpets, Cripes, and blimey. Crumpets, blimey. I'm not okay. sure it's even a song. We just kept singing that in different octaves and tones. It's a Disney movie podcast. We want insider information, and that was what you just delivered on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. We yes, ha- I just had yes. an amazing time talking to you today, and I can't wait for everyone out there to see this movie. Oh, we're all so excited. Thank you so much for the time, for the insight, and for all the stories you shared. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And to the Disney universe, so lucky to have you. Hope you come out, watch it at home or in the theater. And uh, I think you're going to like what you see. It's a really memorable movie. We can't wait. Thanks. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That was fun. So our final guests are Disney movie fans and part of the Disney team. And I couldn't be more excited to have them here. Ruth and David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. I will say that I love that you guys are here. And I feel like this is a reunion already because we're a Disney family. Let's hear about the work you do for Disney. I am the vice president of CRM, and it is my privilege to actually oversee the Disney Movie Insiders program team. So we actually make sure that the platform is running and programmed. We work with different parts of the company to make sure that we're bringing the best for our Disney fans and, you know, really the magic that the movies bring. All right, David, what magic do you bring in your work? I'm vice president of Cinema Partnerships. And what that means is we do all of the marketing uh, that goes into a movie theater, so trailers, and the standees, we're responsible for getting all those wonderful things that go into a movie theater there. So we work very closely with the DMI team and very much also bring magic to movie theaters. And David and I have worked together for over 25 years, I think. Okay, well, again, the stakes are high now. 25 years of knowing each other. Who's going to have like the more villainous answer? David. For sure, it's Ruth. 100% David. (laughs) Okay, we're not going to take you straight into the Insider 5 yet. We want to give you a little warm up. First question, what's your favorite Disney movie of all time? You know what? I'm going to say 
Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh! Which is- All right, we'll keep with Pirates theme. I'm going to say Peter Pan. That was like a podcast sword fight moment right there. Seriously, coming back with the pirates. I have so many memories associated with the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I actually was lucky enough to help work the premiere at Disneyland. <gasps> there was a lot of work that went on behind the scenes, but it was an incredible effort of all these cast members coming together to help create this amazing event. It was awesome. Strong start with you two. I'm liking it already. Okay, a strong follow-up to that is, of all the Disney villains, who was your favorite? I'm going to say Scar from Lion King. He was so good. That is a solid, solid one. I wanted to say that before you would say Scar, Ruth, so I was just trying to get in quickly. He's a great, and he's so witty as well. I'm going to go super old school. Since you went old school, I'm going to go Maleficent because I feel like her character has grown so much from the incredible, iconic animated version Mm -hmm. to now like a new take on the character with the live action films. She's got style. It's amazing. David, Ruth got a description in there and she talked about the character arc. So we got to level it up here. Okay, I got it. (laughs) We're going into the Insider Five now. So here we go with question number one of the Insider Five. What is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? I'll go first. All right. Uh, I remember seeing a double feature um, in a drive-in of Star Wars which isn't the Disney side of things, but it sort of is now, and the Jungle Book. So Jungle Book, Star Wars, drive-in, it must have been five or six years old. Galaxy far, far away in a jungle, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right, Ruth, what's your first memory? Mine is when my mom had taken me to go visit great-granddaddy in South Carolina, and during the day it was kind of raining, and so she, I was probably about five too, David, and Uh, She took me to go see Snow White, a matinee showing. Mm. And I remember it being amazing. It was a princess with dark hair, which I totally loved because I have dark hair. (laughs) And it was both wonderful and it was a little scary for me at the time, but I, I loved it. Okay, question number two. What inspired you to want to work in film? You know, really, I did not grow up thinking that this was what I was going to do. I just loved Disney as a bringer of joy to my life. And I grew up watching Wonderful World of Disney on television and going and seeing the movies. And then there was the renaissance of animation, Mm. um, you know, with Little Mermaid when I was in high school. Yes, I'm a little older. Um, And so so I just, when when I graduated with my business degree, I just got some great advice that when you're young, you want to just go for it and you want to go for something that you're passionate about and that really fulfills you. And I kind of thought about it and I really realized that what I really loved was the happiness and joy that I got from all of the amazing content I was seeing from the Disney company and I wanted to be a part of that. And so I networked my way in. You do, you live that though. I've I've seen it firsthand. Living the dream out. 
All right, David, your answer. Um, well, first of all, I would say it's movies like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which were super inspirational to me. I love both of those films. But there was a big moment in my life when I was in high school. I came out to California, not from here. I came out here and a gentleman by the name of Joe Ramft, who was an animator at the Walt Disney Animation Studios, spent the afternoon with me and I got to tour while they were working on Beauty and the Beast. <gasps> and Yes. What? So he showed me Chip and this is Potts. That's what he was working. He was working on a scene with the two of them at the time. And he said, this is what I do. I do storyboards for this. He went on to work at Pixar and do some amazing things. And from that moment on, I said, I need to be doing something there. So that was my goal from high school to get to get to Disney. And I did. Okay. What a cool experience, though. Oh, my goodness. I have my visitor pass from that day. I think it was September well, 1990. Oh, I love that. Okay. Now we're bringing it back to the villains theme. Question number three. It's Disney villain karaoke night. What villain song do you sing? I'm gonna choose Love is an Open Door, hmm. which I like it because it's in a key that I think I can pull off. It's a duet, <laughs> which is very important, I think, in, in karaoke because then you have a partner to help you with the energy. And it's a sneaky villain song mm. because we don't know that Hans is a villain right. when he sings it. I hope that wasn't a spoiler. We're gonna do a spoiler alert. I think insiders know though. Insiders should know. But honestly though, Ruth, insiders should know. that was a quality answer right there because in a very villainous way, mystery, deception, that's a really, really strong pick. Okay, David. This is this is gonna be tough, but I'm gonna go classic. But I, I do have a question. Do we consider King Louis a villain? I guess if we're considering the other song a villainous song, I would say King Louis, I Wanna Be Like You. Just Ooh, one of nice. my absolute favorite Disney songs of all time. So I think that'd be fun. Definitely hints of a villain. I mean, isn't it like the whole temple that goes down at that one scene based on that whole song? Yeah, okay, we'll give it to you. So he's not like the villain, but he's a villain in that movie. Next up, if you could only ride one ride all day at a Disney park, which would it be? Okay, I'm gonna twist this one <laughs> because my absolute favorite thing to do in the Disneyland resorts is Fantasmic, which is not technically a ride, but is an epic experience that makes me feel full of wonder and joy every time I see it. And it's been going, I think, since 1992 or something like that. Or I'm not sure exactly when, when it started, but it's such an incredible show. And I would watch that all day. Fantasmic is strong. It's very villainous, too, yeah. obviously, everything that they feature in that show. I don't accept you bounding me into just a ride. I'm going to take an experience. <laughs> Ruth coming in and just, like, <laughs> upending... <laughs> I'm trying to play by the rules here. Okay, can I ask though? Can I ask though if you had to pick one where you're physically loaded into a vehicle? Okay. Is there is there an attraction? Okay, well if it's a ride, then I'm going to say Autopia. Because you know, you're driving yourself, you can stop if you want occasionally. Uh, you, you're outside, you can see other people um, and interact with them. So that sounds like a fine choice. Ooh, okay. I was going to give you some comment commentary on that answer, but I'm not going to give it just yet because I'm not going to give David some insight into why I think that's a wise choice. But go ahead, David. No pressure. Let's see. No oh, pressure. I, I'm, What's your pick? I, I'm going to stay <laughs> with an actual ride and go with Pirates of the Caribbean, an attraction. <laughs> 
and I would pick Pirates of the oh. Caribbean one because it's a cool, it's a cool dark place, and on a hot Disney day in the summer, that's a good place to be. Um, oh. Air conditioning. I'm, I'm taking air that in. You're, I mean, you can, you're, you're going to have to bring sunscreen important. for Autopia. Uh, a lot of sunscreen for Autopia. You're going to be outside in the in the heat, but maybe a beautiful day out. It's a tricky question. It's a tricky question. It's I'm tough. riding in March. I'm I'm not. I don't know when you're riding. Right. Riding mine in March. But I go Pirates of the Caribbean. I like the classic. I like the, the, the music. I like. I, I I think you could take a nap in there if you needed to. If you're going to be there all day. That's actually a new layer, David. So my response to Ruth's contribution, her answer with Autopia was, it's pretty cool because at night you can see the fireworks. However. Ooh. You brought a new angle in by saying bring the sunscreen too because you're gonna be fully exposed the whole day. So you never know. Okay, this is the last one. Let's make a count. Which Disney villain has the best life advice? All right. And what is I'm it? I'm going back to the song that I didn't pick of Scar and saying be prepared. He's prepared. He's like a boy scout. He's like a cub scout for crying out loud. See what I did there? I was going to say, maybe let's not look too deep into the lyrics and let's just yeah. stick with like the headline of the Yeah, it gets pretty, it gets pretty dark lyrics. pretty quick. I'm just going with the very, the headline there, not, not everything else. I'm going to go into the Marvel side of things and pick Loki. Okay. After all, burdened with glorious purpose, I think what I love about him is, first of all, he's played by the incredibly charming Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mm-hmm. hurt. But I think also he's just super adaptable. He's always finding ways. Well, I, I kind of like to find ways around rules too, as obvious, you know, by this podcast. But even though he goes about things the wrong way and gets kind of misguided, he's a bit damaged. He's his best when he's fighting for the Asgardian people. So I'm going to say Loki, and I'm really looking forward to his new series. Look at that. <gasps> Look at that plug at the end too, Ruth. Coming in strong. She brought that home. I'm so excited. Such a great time. She brought that home. I'm very excited for Loki. I love it, though. Okay, so Scar, Loki, that's a strong finish right there on this special edition of the Insider 5 Celebrating Villains. So thank you both for joining us. I love this reunion. Hope you guys had fun. I had a blast. So thank you, guys. You guys just did the Insider 5. Thank you. That's our show. Thank you for joining us. Disney's Cruella is now streaming on Disney+. So you don't miss any upcoming episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love if you gave us a rating and review. We'll catch you next time, Insiders, with more Disney Movie Magic.